0: Jimmy Mackin, yes, CEO of Curator, mm-hmm. somebody who I love following on Twitter okay. and other places because here's the thing about Jimmy if you're not following him already and I'm shocked if you're not, Jimmy's somebody in the industry that sees around the next corner often. You are moving to where the puck is going before the puck gets there. And I, that's why I love following you. I love, that's why I love talking to you. This is the first time we've ever done a podcast together. It I is, think yes. This, this one's going to be explosive content because you're a clip machine. Yes, yes. You, and you don't even put out that much. You put out some video, but, you know,
1: when you do, it's you're like- You're being kind. This is, a, this is a clip. This is a machine. Well, I wore my Byron jacket for today's podcast just uh, to make sure we're going to bring it.
0: You, you got to avoid the sports jacket at all costs. This is a professional way to avoid the sports jacket. That's it. I love it. So- Let's just jump right into it because I know you're spending almost all of your time Mm -hmm. outside of family time thinking about where things are going, how to, I mean, you and I have had conversations about where you're doing at Curator, yeah, like taking big risks because you believe where the future is heading yeah, in a big way. So what does the next 10 years look like?
1: Yeah. Well, I think if you forget about the next 10 years, I think right now, if you just look at the next 12 months, Mm. just as an example, right? Uh, Because I think if you look into the future... It's funny, even even this morning, I was looking at some of the predictions that the experts were making about where we would be this year. So if you go back and you look at the New York Times article, CNBC, you look at NBA, you look at uh, anyone, in, you know, Lawrence Young, you name it, everybody who was trying to make a prediction in 2021 about where the 2022 market was gonna be was categorically wrong. Yeah. I mean, in every sense of the word, which tells you one thing, when smart people are wrong consistently, you just know how difficult it is to actually predict the future. That's right. uh, but the second thing is, is that when you think about the world today, there are, there are clear and obvious signs that, that right now, the market has just shifted and it's not gonna go back. I mean, like the world that we're entering, I was watching your speech on stage, you talked about this idea how like anybody and everybody who had a pulse could make money in the last two years. It, it has made us and it has lulled us into basically being bad business people. We've sort of forgotten the basics of what it's, what it's like actually to work for a living. And so I think about the future. I think about the next 12 months. I think in our industry, the first thing you're going to see is you're going to see a consolidation. I think everyone's predicting that right now, where it's, it's going to be unsustainable for certain companies to, be, to exist, especially if you look, let's say, the broader landscape of you know, the iBuying space. So kind of like banks.
0: Yes, I just go to a bigger bank.
1: Yeah, well, you, you're seeing what you're seeing with banks. Everyone's scared. They're moving to, you know, one of the big banks. You know, everyone keep, you, see, you hear Jim Cramer on Twitter going, J.P. Morgan's a fortress, which is like is a bad sign for J.P. Morgan when hey, Jim Cramer's giving them up. You just them a, doomed them. You just doomed them, basically. No, I think you're going to see a consolidation. I think you're going to see a lot of acquisitions, you know, that are called involuntary. But I think for the everyday agent. This is an unpopular opinion. I don't think there's ever been a better time in the last three years than to be an agent today, than you are today. And what I mean by that is good agents blended in with average. Yeah. Over the last, you know, four yeah, over the last, four, you know, call it two years. They blended in with everybody else. Uh, and, and an example of this would be if you look at the percentage of consumers who are using a realtor over the last 10 years, last 20 years, it has steadily increased. It's gone up. Until when? Well it's still going up. Well no, well hold on. It went down in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. For the first time in oh, twenty. And, and, and
0: then and then twenty twenty it went back up. When twenty
1: twenty two. It started to climb back up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what happened in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty and twenty twenty one? Yeah, we had we had COVID. Well we had COVID, but from a, from a from a like an option perspective, consumers now began to say, Oh, there's another solution out there besides yeah. a realtor. Yeah. And and so I, what happened was is that when it was so easy to sell a house and anybody and everybody could do it, it was so difficult for good agents to stand out. Right. And so now I think, if you think about the next 12 months, answer your question, like... Those, go,
0: and just those two years, it's like, well, I don't even have to put it on the market, I could just sell it, or I could mm-hmm. use one of these faster salute I buy buying, whatever.
1: Yeah, it, it, and, and I think what you see now is it's consumers are now in a great, a great stat to share with your audiences uh, open door reports on something called the real conversion rate, and you and I have talked about this a few months ago. So the real conversion rate is people who go to their website to request a cash offer, and and of the people that request, how many of them accept the cash offer, right? Versus how many of them just list it on the MLS with an agent. And prior to the last, you know, call it twelve months, their conversion ratio was thirty four percent, meaning one in three consumers ish. We're basically choosing open door over a traditional agent. Now, if if the market did not correct, if it did not contract, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that I buying could have been thirty percent of the market. Right? Maybe. Maybe. It, I think
0: that's high, but maybe. Well, it, it, it's just so. But dude, to those numbers sure well data
1: doesn't lie where it's where it's at today and this is the important point where it's at today because they got the new CFO who came in to became the CEO which is never a good sign yeah. to be clear yeah uh never a good signed all <laughs> right like ever no. uh it, and so she reported in the last earnings call she's like the conversion ratio is down to like 10 percent mm. which which tells en- your entire audience like all iBuying did was disrupt FISBO. yeah it did not disrupt the the everyday agent That's right. so I think all good' right. a-, That's a good way to look at it yeah, it's like so. Who cares? Ten yep. percent of the market, but well, the Fisbo's already had that. So like, why do we care about that?
0: It's disrupted Fisbo and it's made it ultra competitive. If you own the market for flipping, yeah. right? Like if you were that local, you know, business that was buying all these deals to go flip them and in back into the market, mm-hmm. it's disrupted your business. Yeah. But yeah, it, has, it hasn't disrupted traditional sale.
1: Yeah. So to answer your question directly, it's never been a better time to be good, mm. right? Because it, good stands out. Yeah. You know, good is different versus the everyday a- agent who is just out there who, you know, has underinvested in their business, just rode the wave. You know, they're like, oh shit. Like, you know, what am I going to do? What's plan B? And they just simply don't have any. I'm not seeing, Byron, I'm not seeing the people that you hang out with, the people that I see in this industry. I'm not seeing them scared. I'm no. seeing them excited about, yeah. like, leaning into this this transition.
0: Yeah. I think if you're able to give options, a variety of options and be really knowledgeable about all those offerings yeah you're going to be able to get a higher fee and mm-hmm. let's face it the fee thing come october yeah when, when they have that little trial mm-hmm. uh is going to be a big big component on how many agents are still in this business oh i can't just automatically get maybe uh my mm-hmm. side commission anymore like yeah. those conversations are naturally going to disrupt the industry but even if they don't, they're gonna change it in a way yeah. that there are going there's going to be a need for these agents that are actually the advisor. If you think about somebody who's um you know, a financial planner, mm-hmm. okay, they don't have one plan for yeah. you. Yeah. They have a variety of do you want to retire this age, this age, this age, or this age. Sure. And then they've got a variety of different ways to get there mm-hmm. and they can tweak their analysis or their approach per the outcome that you want.
1: Yeah. I think most um, consumers are not even aware of other options that exist. And I think our industry does a terrible job at educating the consumer on things that maybe are alternative routes mm-hmm. or even just even their options. Like I think my sister's selling her house right now. And uh, she's working with an agent, of course. And she's talking about the process. Now, how would you describe the, the, the market right now? Just the average, is it a buyer market or a seller market right now?
0: It's still a seller's market almost every county and city in America. Yeah.
1: Okay. So where she's at, it's a seller's market. There's yeah. less than probably two months of inventory in the market. Yeah, definitely then. She's she's concerned about selling her house. Now that might surprise you, right? Because if you listen to the agents, they're like, oh, it's a seller's market. Sellers are still out there you know, thinking they can get X versus Y. I, I don't think that actually describes the everyday seller who's not in tune with the market. They're concerned about selling their house. She's concerned about selling her house. She's not sure about you know what concessions to offer. And again, she's in a market where there's less than two months of inventory. She's not. She's concerned about getting the full asking price because what she consumes as a lawyer is about the economy, mm. inflation, and potential recession coming. And oh yeah, she feels like she's already missed the peak. So she's kind of like, I'm, I'll be happy if I can kind of get anywhere close to what I think the house is worth. So there's sort of this disconnect between what consumers believe about the market, both um, both ways, right, good and bad, yeah. And what our industry understands.
0: And now she's in a vulnerable position to leave money on the table mm-hmm. because, let's. And I'm sure you've put her with the right agent because your knowledge in the industry and, and your connections there. But had she not been Jimmy's sister, mm-hmm. she maybe ends up with an agent through a friend or some scenario like yeah. that, and maybe that agent ha- isn't. Deeply in, you know, into what's going on, mm-hmm. and puts them in a position where they sell thirty thousand dollars less than what they could get, yeah. and it happens quick. It's like that's when sellers, by the way, are like, "Wait a minute, could I've gotten more? Because we yeah. just sold in five seconds, mm-hmm. and we took the first offer, and now I'm hearing these other offers. Like, did I make a mistake? Oh yeah. And then you see those, you know, those uh, those studies, those surveys that have come out where it's like all well, these sellers have regret." Oh,
1: yeah. in the last twelve months, yeah, because
0: they're like, "What just happened?"
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that because I think there's, it's all intellectual until it's not. Mm. Meaning, when you are thinking about selling your property and you're like considering the idea of listing, you're checking the Zestimate, you're trying to wonder, you know, how much my home is actually worth. You're doing the math on how much you're going to net, but the moment that home, that home hits the market, regardless of what type of market it's in, it gets really emotional really quick. Yes, and I know what the thing that sellers are not prepared for is the velocity in which they have to make decisions the being able to decide on offer A versus offer B in a matter of 24 hours you know that is not an easy thing for someone who's not experienced to have to go through and if you got an incompetent person who is basically advising you you not only can leave money on the table you can just make a bad decision period Wait, i talk about
0: this and look at it every single day mm-hmm. and when i sold i sold a house in Connecticut yeah in the summer, and I bought another one last last summer. But when I had the one I was selling on, on the market, and I guess this was quarter three, so yeah. it wasn't in the summer, it was, yeah, it was end of quarter three. Okay, so it was towards the end of the year. And I know that the market, quarter three, quarter four last yeah. year, was an interesting, odd market, right? Yeah. But I knew that intuitively, I knew price is right. Yeah. Everything's good. We're, we're going to get, but still within hours, I'm call. I use. Asian yeah. that I work with Nicole from the Real yeah. World podcast. If you guys know Nicole, and I'm still calling her like, "Hey, what what are you hearing? What's going on?" What, oh, yeah. like, yeah, oh yeah. I'm, I turned into like your everyday seller. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Somebody that knows what's going on. So think about somebody that doesn't have any idea what's going on, what they're going through, mm-hmm. the minute that house hits the market, like you said.
1: Well, it, it's. I think there's a really practical takeaway for the audience to be watching, whether live or on the replay, which because you know I'm a marketer by, by trade is what I do. And I always think about how how do you as a as a team lead, as a broker, as an individual agent, how do you figure out a way to connect with the consumer where they can say, "Oh, this person is different." Because again, you know, we, during the during the height of the boom, there was I did some napkin math, Byron. There was a period of time where there was a new agent, new realtor every six minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. And, and, and so think about that for a second. And there was a period of like twelve months where we were we had eighty seven thousand agents in a matter of twelve months. Like a new realtor every six minutes, just spitting out there into, into the uh, driveways. They give them. A, they give things. They give them a badge. Give them a few signs. And get out there and start selling. Right. So so there was a period of time where there there was a, we reached peak realtor. Right. And what was interesting to me is most agents are not trained how to communicate to the consumer because they are they listen to other agents. And and this is basic business one hundred and one. It's basic marketing one hundred and one, which is you have to sort of stop surrounding yourself with a narrative that you know you hear in our industry. You, our buddy Tom Tool, uh, I, I loved his video on like this: uh, the date, the rate, marry the house yeah. video, which I know uh, uh, threw him into a fit of rage. Like you hear that stuff, and on the surface, as an as an agent, like, oh, that makes sense, but it's so tone deaf for the consumer. So so like, let me give you an example here of a campaign that we ran recently, kind of. I think illustrates this point uh, further, which is if you are a seller today and you let's say you you are going to sell the house, right? But let's say you don't need to put a huge down payment on your next property. Let's say you're down you're downsizing, you got enough of an nest egg, you're not worried about interest rates, but you have a house, you have an asset, and let's say that asset is locked in at 2.75%. What is the thought process that's going through your head right now? You don't need the money, so but you could sell. Like, what is a, maybe a scenario that you might be considering as a seller today? If I'm at 275. 275. You want to leave. You want to sell, right? I had that scenario okay. last year, right? And, and what so- were your options? What were you
0: weighing? So for me, my particular situation was I'm not using the house all that much because my primary is in, out in Florida. I had ridiculously high taxes. Yeah. And I had a, a really high HOA. Mm-hmm. And just taxes and HOA, I was paying like $22,000 a year just on those two expenses okay. yeah. on, this, on this particular home. A couple towns up on the shore in Connecticut, I, I ended up buying a house. Now, I didn't go and I was in the situation where I didn't have to go mortgage, so I went cash, right? But I lowered my taxes and got rid of the HOA. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm out of an HOA so I can go short term. Yeah. So that was the situation for me. Yeah. Eh-eh. If I don't have that situation, maybe I'm thinking, well, I don't want to get out of 275 because mm-hmm. I don't want to go to seven. I don't yeah. want to go to five and a half even. Yeah. Um. You know, five and a half might be okay because it's just a double up. Sure. Seven certainly isn't. <laughs> and yeah. And so I'm looking at it, if I have one of those interest rates, like I'm printing money, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of sellers are going to be hesitant. By the way, there's a lot of boomers mm-hmm. that have locked back into three. Yeah. 2.75 and these boomers don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. They don't have kids in school
1: driving oh, yeah. a decision. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, in the scenario that we just talked about there, I think if you if you were planning on selling the property, you're going to start also considering should I turn this home into an investment property? Right. Should I should I maybe rent it out? And so this is a great example of something that this is a conversation that sellers are having at the kitchen table that we as an industry aren't really talking about, right? Hey, this, now's a good time to sell your property. It's still low inventory.
0: And he, here's the thing, because of the location that I was in on that, yeah. the one that had the I can I can't do short-term, but I could do long-term rental there. Yeah. So some a lot of people would say, well, I'm just gonna rent this thing out. Mm-hmm. When you run the numbers on the property I had with those high HOAs and high taxes, yeah. Even at 2.75, it was a really bad investment play. Okay. So because I'm only banking on appreciation, which by the way, they're going to reassess that property tax is going to go up and my, my value could have actually been pulled down. Totally.
1: And so this is an example of a campaign that we just created recently that is just absolutely killing it, which is, should I rent my home or should I sell it? That's that's the angle. That's it. And all we're doing- Starts is, the conversation. It, we're, we're offering a, a free rent versus sell analysis, which is to your point on the surface- it sounds great to be a landlord, right? You're paying down your mortgage, you're building equity, but people who have never owned a property have no idea what it really takes to actually be a landlord or even even prepared for it, the ups and downs, the no cash flow, any of the things that go along with it. So this is an example of if you follow the average agent, they're gonna say, now's a great time to sell. We have two months of inventory. You can still get X or Y for your property. But that's not the conversation that consumers are having. The consumers are saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about selling, but maybe I should rent it, you know?" Or, "Hey, I would I would love to sell the property, but like, do I really want to lock into a seven percent interest yeah. rate?" And so, so there's this sort of divide where the consumer is having a different conversation than the marketing that we're putting out there as agents. The
0: consumer's looking at it surface level because they have a friend who clean ups on, cleans yes. up on rentals, and they're totally. like, "Well, maybe I should just rent my property." Yeah. Without going into, okay, um, that's cool, but, mm-hmm. but let's actually break it down and break the numbers down. Because any property, whether you live in or rent, you should be putting 1% to 2% back into the home just on maintenance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so have you been doing that in less than years? Well, I guess not really. Well, you need to do that moving forward. If you're just going to, especially with a renter, the wear and tear that a renter is going to put on this property, mm-hmm. just to maintain oh, yeah. the, the the home. Now, this isn't value add. Yeah, this yeah. is maintain oh, Yeah the the actual pride of ownership that you have in the house oh, yeah. right now. Oh yeah. And then doing the work. I remember the first time I became a landlord. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm a big New York Giants fan. You're probably a big Patriots fan. Uh, of course. Of course, you yes, are. Okay. Yes. So let's Giants. Let's not talk about the Giants. That's Giants. Right. Pats were in the Super Bowl. Yes. Okay. Okay. And yeah. big Giants fan. I got all my Patriot friends there. And I, the house I had at the time had this living room, and then through the dining room was a sunroom. So we had. Giants fans, and some <laughs> Patriots fan Laura. I've got a keg going in the oh, back yeah. porch. Yeah. Out. Connecticut in in, <laughs> in February, right? All this food, ready to go. We're like twenty minutes from kickoff. I get a call, sweetheart of a tenant, Yola. Sh- shout out to Yolanda. Um, she calls me and says, Byron, the basement's flooded. I said, Oh, well, what do you mean? The, there's a sub pump down there. Yeah. She's like, No, it's not working. Yeah. I said, Oh, all right she's like i was like how high is it a couple inches she's like you can't walk down there (laughs) okay i'll be over you yeah so i come over it's like up to like Mm -hmm. over my knees Mm -hmm. the water not good i got furnaces on cinder blocks or something but not a good situation i go over to the sub pump she unplugged it i said yolanda the sub pumps unplugged she Mm -hmm. goes oh yeah save electricity i unplugged that she didn't know it was a sub pump she didn't know what i was talking about right so now I'm going to plug it in, get it going, get the water out. I get back, you know, Super Bowl after kickoff. Okay. That's the life of a landlord yeah. right there.
1: See, I was hoping you were going to miss the entire game. No, no, As no, a no. Patriots fan, I was hoping we, you actually missed the entire game. We celebrated
0: <laughs> hardcore <laughs> okay. after the uh, yes. after the Giants victory. But that right there, yeah. at the worst time, it never happens at the best time. Yeah. It mm-hmm. never happens Monday afternoon at 4.30 on your way home from work. Hey, I got a situation where yeah. to drop in on, on my rental. Sure. It always happens when you're right? Agents, you guys know this better than anybody. Yep. When do you want to When do you want to drum up business? You go on vacation, all of a sudden it starts happening. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a landlord, you go away, that's when problems
1: are going to start yeah. to happen. And so going back to the basic idea, of what we're talking about right now, which is how do you attract your next listing? How do you get your next seller? Well, you have to figure out what are the conversations they're having right now about the market? How can I get in front of them, provide something of value that's interesting, that's unique, that actually helps them make a better decision? not steering them to tell them to sell the house, but really giving them the behind-the-scenes look at what it's really like to actually go you know, to but, navigate this market.
0: Because the house that I ended up buying yeah. in Connecticut, if I got that question, so um, the house that I sold yeah. last year, if we did the should you buy or rent analysis, mm-hmm. it was clear, uh, or not buy, I'm sorry, should I sell or rent? Yeah. The the analysis would have been clear, should sell. Yeah. Now the house that I ended up buying you do the analysis. If I had a 2.75 mortgage, the analysis would be clear on that. You should rent and you give people real advice. Now, here's what I know about giving people the actual data and the real advice as an agent. Sometimes they're going to say, cool, I want to sell anyway. Yeah. Sometimes they're just going to say, cool, I've got all the data and it does make sense to rent, but you know what? You bring up some points there uh, about you know having this separate bank account. And yeah. I've just, understanding the data, I also understand that this is a part-time job for me to manage Mm -hmm. don't want to manage it let's sell it
1: yeah there's a there's a uh, and this goes back to I think the larger point about the consumer is that and this is something I think that nobody does in our industry which is just to me completely insane which is when you've been selling real estate for a long time like you had uh, you sell thousands of houses tens of thousands of houses right you fall into the trap of thinking that you know everything about the consumer and you never ask questions. Not about yeah. questions about what they're looking for. I'm saying just doing surveys or interviews after the transaction. Say, hey, just, you know, hey, you closed in your house recently. If I if I were in a real estate team, and I know this sounds insane, so I, this person would be part-time, not full-time, but I would have someone actually call every single client, not ask for a review. Sure, I'll get that.
0: So how- you already know- got that when you went under contract. Exactly. If you're doing it right.
1: Yeah, so not for like a actual survey. Hey, how was your experience with my ABC agent, right? What did you learn about the process? What surprised you about the process? What did you find most difficult? What, what did you find was most joyful? Like really digging into the consumer experience. So number one, you can go to your team and say, hey, here's this, where we can improve. Here's where we can improve. Here's the things that here's the six things that they said that you did poorly. Here's the six things that you did you know a really good job at. But also like now you can sort of feed that back into the marketing and sales to yes. see. There isn't. I, I have yet to meet a single team or broker who has the resources that ever conducts in-depth consumer research. Like when you say in-depth, how many questions and does that look like? Do you think you can ask them five questions? I'm saying they're not even asking any questions. Mm. Like they're, you're asking a review, and then you're invited right into the next client appreciation party. Maybe we should be asking them what could we be doing differently, right? right? Like it, this is. And maybe because I come from the software world, we're like, that is so, like, we're so annoying about it. We like, every day we're trying to get you to give us our NPS score. Hey, are we a one out of 10 today? And it's gonna you know vary pretty greatly based on the day. But like, you know, we are so prone in software and services to like ask people how we're doing because we have to keep that customer happy, not for six weeks or 12 weeks, but for years.
0: I like what you said about letting it feed your marketing. Sharon and I were having a conversation earlier today where um, this was off camera, we were just chatting about all the zooms that he does. You know, yeah. all the all the real <laughs> zooms that he does, and so yeah, you know, he's getting a thousand people into these zooms, right? And I said, um, or, or well, he, rather he said, he said, hey, listen, I'm I'm getting all the questions in there because when you do a zoom webinar, and I'm sure you've done these zoom mm-hmm. webinars, you can download that data after that. You can download yeah, all yeah. those questions that were asked yeah. in the webinar, and so now he's taking those questions. Because I said, Sharron, for five years, I didn't see you mm-hmm. in my feed. Now I see you all the time, right? You're back, man. And yeah. that <laughs> competes over and you're in. Yeah. And he's taking that data from the webinars and he's letting that feed his videos mm-hmm. on Instagram and social and all these different places. Just yeah. what are the common themes Yeah, yeah. The questions that are being asked?
1: Well, what you're, what you're seeing is, and you asked the original question you asked me, which is what's where's the world going to be in 10 years, right? Yeah. You know, listen, I, I, I was the biggest hater on AI for for a long time. Like I thought it was just nonsense, um, you know, it, which is ironic because I've always been a guy who has been, you know, pro innovation, pro technology, pro any type of paradigm shift. When you think about the future, it is so obvious and clear that like through my lifetime, I've lived through now three, soon to be four revolutions. First, the internet, right? We were the, one of the first households in my town. We probably were the first house in my town to get the internet. Lived through that, right? My father worked for Oracle, so I was like part of the oh, dot com boom. Wow, loss, right? Still, still works for Oracle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a boomer, so he, he's not leaving his job. Uh, so, so I lived through that, right? And that was a really interesting experience. And then, of course, we entered into sort of the I would say social and mobile were almost like right neck and neck, depending on how you look at it. Likely social first, really early days of social, but then mobile, and then finally, obviously, social kind of came into its to its own in, in the 2010s. So we lived through this internet. Mobile, social, and now we're entering into sort of this, this revolution with AI that is, even for the haters like me and the critics, it is so undeniable this is going to change everything in our, in, in the way in which businesses operate. Yep. And the thing that's- Not on
0: NFTs, like everybody said a year ago, but AI will change.
1: Well, this is, this is a really important point you're making, which is because we are coming off of these boom and bust cycles with crypto- That people don't believe in AI. Well, exactly, crypto, NFTs, right? It's like a Doge DogeCoin, whatever it was, right? Yeah, like because we're coming on the back of that. Oh, it feels like it's just like that. Hey, l- listen, as a, like as a hater, it's not. It is actually the thing. And there, there's a there's a takeaway here though, which is what Sharon does with his questions, right? Yes. What I did this recently where I asked our community curator I said, "Hey, give me like what are the most important? What are the most common?" and the best concessions a seller can offer to a buyer to make their house more enticing. And I got a ton of great responses. Maybe 15, 20 people just like, gave me a full like paragraph of what was like, you know, what, they, what a seller could offer. Throw it in a GBT, Hey, summarize the key points. Okay, cool. Add a, give it a, the right prompt, create an article for it. And within moments, we have a, like a crowdsourced article that now can become a marketing campaign. Like,
0: Or you take all those questions like, yeah. Could be hundreds of questions from that Zoom webinar. What are the three most common themes yeah. being asked in all of these questions? And it'll tell
1: you. It's gonna. It's in the right hands. What you're seeing with AI is going to give sort of the the pros superpowers. Mm. And what we're, it's, like thirds. It, it's like taking steroids. It's like taking steroids without the side effects. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good.
1: Right. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things where like in the in the hands of a pro. Uh, it, it, you're gonna see you're gonna see some really amazing innovation the problem is is a lot of pros like me are resisting it I mean if you ask Mark at this conference hey mark what do you think of chat yeah, yes
0: Marks not, Mark's resisting
1: Ma- in and Mark is the pro's pro yeah and because it, it's a, it's a, it's an offense to the craft
0: he's resisting from a from a true writer's copywriter's standpoint yeah. yeah um and I get it you don't want to go out there and and let this thing just write for you mm-hmm. Uh, but I but I see where you're coming from, and I'm I'm a believer. Yeah, that this is going to be an advantage for people to work. Fa- I mean, listen, how busy are you? How busy are all of us listening to this pod? Let us know in the comments. How busy are you right now during your your work week? Yeah, where if you can hack a little bit mm-hmm. and and kind of move faster throughout your messaging, this is going to be helpful. And I don't want to sound like I'm a hater on NFTs yeah. because I do think people like Gary Vee and all these other guys that are doing something interesting in the space, Yeah, collectibles and this kind of thing, there, there's a huge opportunity for that. Yeah, But when people try to say NFTs are gonna be how we're closing real estate in the next three years, that's what's blown up in people's faces because that is so far off. Yeah, yeah. from happening, it's it's a long way out there.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm am a hater on an, NFTs. I think overall, a, I think it's a complete joke. I think we're gonna look back five years from now and say what a what a co- colossal waste. It's,
0: it's even guys like Gary who basically are never wrong. Listen, it it, it look, Gary, I mean, he's wrong. But I'm saying sure, on his big macro bets, he's really. Never been. It's big macro bets.
1: It's it's speculation, right? That's that's what it was. It was just like, hey, I'm going to buy this thing, and I'm going to hope I'm going to sell it. The the thing that you should look for, and listen. Gary's smarter than I am. Gary's richer than I am. Gary's more popular than I am. So listen to Gary. But if you're going to listen to me, then us combined, yes, then us combined, (laughs) right? Times ten. But like, but but the thing I always look for is where is the utility with every great revolution. It's ugly. It's it's difficult. It's challenging, but there's always some underlying utility that exists. And right now with NFTs, it isn't clear and obvious what it is. There's no no one's guessing what the utility of AI is. Let, That's right. Let's yeah. give let's give an example. Three D printing, right, which was born in Boston primarily was at least it was like one of the hubs was like three D printing. Boston. Everyone thought everyone thought that. Consumers would have a 3D printer in their house, printing right. whatever. I, I remember that that was a big documentary, craze. yeah, yeah. A big documentary about it. Um, and like, sure enough, 3D printing was not a consumer product; it was a you know commercial product. Right. And so the application was fundamentally different than what everyone thought it was going to be. Maybe NFT falls in that space. Like, this is the first application; it's useless, no one cares about it. It's you know, it's it's interesting for a very small subset of the population. Maybe it will become something totally different. And Gary's seeing around more than one corner here um, but you're right like NFTs and AIs are not even in the same stratus they're not in the same conversation
0: mm-hmm. not not at all and yeah I I'm, I need to push myself to get better in the AI world because I do believe it's going to be a part and it already is we just don't even realize it Yeah. like when I change my here's what's interesting though about this when I change my flight on Delta yeah, I already know how to hack the AI I say Give me a human representative immediately. (laughs) It's what I say to the Delta AI bot. Um, But they're going to get more sophisticated. And and I think Delta's technology, whatever AI bot they're using, isn't what we're all having access to now with ChatGPT.
1: Yeah. And and, and if you you bring it back down to earth here, which is if you're the everyday agent who's watching right now, like you're not really thinking about AI. You're thinking about, you know, how can I survive this week, this month? True. I think there is there is, and I, I and I realize there are certain teams and brokers who are at a different level. But I was talking to one of the top teams in the country. I got invited to this event. It was probably six months ago. I call it the Illuminati of brokers. There was these thirty individual bro- like indie brokers, right? They get together once a year and do this big meeting. And again, like I'm not going to name names, uh, right? It's the gathering of eagles for independence. It, it is right, and, and they're and they're great people and they're super sharp people. But you know, I'm sitting down with one of one of their uh, like chiefs of staffs. And he's like, hey, listen, it's like, you know, we were forecasting our business is going to be down 25%. So, our entire PL, all of our investments, we were baking off of like a 25% decline. We're down 45%. And so, I think the average person right now who's watching this podcast is is wondering, how do I make sure? Sh- like, I'm not worried about surviving 16, 18 months from now. I'm worried about surviving the next six months, yep, the next three months. And I've said this for a long time, you know this, like, I think good agents are two or three bad months from being out of the business. Yes. I think this, this 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 business, this is the thing I respect about anyone who does this is it is brutal. It is like you have a couple bad months and oh shit, like this is one of the only jobs where you start in the red. Like think about it, in America, like one of the few jobs where you actually, you get a job, become a realtor, and you're already in the red. Like yeah. name another job that actually, like that's a popular job. Like actually that's the job. I guess maybe all independent salespeople, but man, like, It's going to be hard for agents out there. So I think for me, Byron, I keep thinking about And the thought that keeps going through my mind is, what can we do? People who have a microphone, people who have a voice, what can we do to help agents navigate the next three months, the next six months?
0: The first three to six months of an agent's career, you're talking about saying it's in the red, it's so deflating. You could have your first paycheck three months in. Yeah. And it's so deflating because as an agent, you look at that first commission check Yeah three and a half months into your career and all you think about is three and a half months of 50 hour work week, yeah. 40 hour work, work weeks mm-hmm. all the time. And you're all of a sudden doing the math oh, yeah. on, I just made 12 cents an hour
1: <laughs> yeah, for this yeah.
0: first paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't believe enough agents are, are in the, like you talked about the Illuminati of indie brokers mm-hmm. are in the group, which is having the conversation about how to think of this long term enough yeah they're they're oftentimes thinking backwards and this is what a lot of people do they think about the past mm-hmm. and they focus on that and their energy focus is there yeah and it freezes them in the moment in the next three to six months
1: there's there's not there's no there's two toxic traits for leadership maybe more but there's two that I think about the first is nostalgia it is the worst characteristic of a leader to be nostalgic right? And the other is the desire to be liked. Yeah. And, and right now, I think too many agents are comparing their 2023 production, Q1, Q2, into Q2 here. as like, you know, this is down 50%, 60%. Who cares? Right. Like, you're in the game now. Like, get your head in the game. Like, I, I think about, so I've been CEO of Curator now for, I just celebrated my third year anniversary in uh, October of uh, 2022. And the first s- maybe six months of me being CEO, the business was in turmoil. I mean, we were losing a lot of cash, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. and We're a bootstrap Lose, company.
0: Losing accounts, or you were just over and
1: just over and like we were, we were just a, we were a bad business. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. Like Spending we, money. We were, we were, we were. Our technology investments were bloated. Our, uh, you know, our, we had too many people doing just things that weren't really adding value, but we were just burning cash. I mean, to the point where I was like, okay. Yeah, we can survive a bit, but we can't survive that long. And so part of the first sort of like, th- after obviously the panic sets in, you know, the first maybe three, six months, I'm like, all we have to do right now is just triage. Just get us on stable footing. Make sure that we're in a good position financially, cut the expenses we need to cut. But after you get to that phase, which many agents were already in that phase in Q4, yeah, after you get in that phase, you can't cut cost into profitability. Right. You can't do it. You, you, you know, at a certain point, you've got to play offense. Yes. And so I, I think right now, most of the co- uh, uh, cost cutting has already happened. Mm-hmm. It should it should have already happened in Q4. And if it hasn't happened, you're just you're, you're out to lunch. Uh, now you've got to be playing offense. Like, I mean, like, in, in the way I think about this, Byron, is if you think about how much time you have in your day and how you spend your time, right? I know you think about this a lot because you're one of those 5 a.m. guys that gets up early yep. in the morning, right? Like, today, today, he'd be on the West Coast. It was 3 a.m. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, but you know, when you think about it, like I think right now the the pendulum has got to swing for agents right now where they are spending the vast majority of their time I'm saying 60 percent know that sounds outrageous. I think you should be saying 60 percent to 70 percent of your time right now on customer acquisition okay that like, sounds crazy, but like, guess I what? what
0: agents listening, watching that definitely doesn't mean sitting in your home office or your bedroom. If 60% of your time is on customer acquisition, Jimmy, you've got to get out of your house mm-hmm. as, oh yeah, I know you're 1099, could create your own schedule. And this comes off as, th- when I say this, and I'm trying to articulate it in a different way, because when I say this, it comes off as, I'm not relatable. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm working from home because I don't, maybe I don't even have an office or yeah. I don't, you know, I've, I've got a be here because I gotta pick up the kids. In your work time, even if you don't have an office, you're in a cloud brokerage, whatever, do the work from the coffee shop. You're gonna have a, a much better chance at customer acquisition yeah. doing your work in the world where your consumers are
1: spending time. You know you know what you just described is the Ben Franklin strategy. If you ever read a biography on Ben Franklin, you'll know that in his early days he was he was a very industrious person, right? He was a, he was a printer and he would walk around town, even though he didn't need to do this, he just wanted to be seen working amongst the people who were, were gonna be his customers. So he would like carry these big rolls of paper up and down the streets in Boston. Well, like, um, and for no other reason other than to, than to appear industrious. And because he appeared industrious, he became industrious. There's an agent here, um, and I'm hoping to
0: catch him, because I don't. I think he's always saying today his name yeah. is Keenan. Um... Yeah, Keenan was
1: in my DMs recently.
0: Okay, so you know Keenan? Yeah, He's a Washington agent? Yeah. He's putting the work in. Dude, first of all, right now, today, he was a, I was shouting with him this morning. He's got 15 properties under contract personally. The average, like once you get to seven, that's not the average, but yeah. when you hit seven under contracts as, a, as an agent, yeah. things break. He's doubled up on that. He said it's about to be 16 probably by the end of the day. Yeah. Keenan in Washington bought a coffee shop. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And so they're getting about three hundred to four hundred customers per day through this coffee shop, and they have some type of award. You know, you ever go to a, yeah, of these like, yeah, Starbucks get- or Dunkin' Donuts, but like one of these like
1: independent coffee shops with yeah, for- the iPads with the six dollar tips baked in. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yes. six dollars. Yes, I've been to but, those. but they're like, hey, fifty points, you get a free car. Everyone yep. puts their phone number. In. He's like, the amount of. I said, how much business you get out of it? He's like, a lot.
1: It, it's a. It's a. Br- it's, I mean,
0: this is like. And Mark Patterson in San Diego is doing the same thing with coffee shops. So this is like
1: a this is so, like a business model. Right so now. our advice is: don't open a mortgage business. Don't open a title business. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. Listen, <laughs> open a coffee shop to get customers. Which, by the way, it's a crazy ass idea.
0: I actually right. I actually think the more people opening mortgage business, how's that working out for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm 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 make I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Like that is the traditional route, which is like, hey, I'm in real estate. I want to get some auxiliary revenue. Let me offer these offer open these. Like think about a broker. How bad does your business need to be? I mean, just the business of being a broker, that in order for you to survive, you have to open another business just to help support that business, which is the typical business model of a broker. And you're basically
0: okay with the fact that, okay, I can run my margins down to flat on my real estate business because I'm going to make up for it on the mortgage, and you're chasing capture on mortgage. for the rest of your career that's a brutal business to be. it's
1: it, this is this is the theme of today's podcast which is stop looking at what other agents and other teams and other brokers are doing because that is just bad business yeah there's not a business there's not a successful business on the planet where the core business and i mean truly the core business is a pure loss leader like it can be for a period of time but eventually the core business has got to be a good business i'd rather have the coffee shop running flat.
0: Yes. To yeah, accelerate my margins on my real estate business because I can make a you know yeah make some serious money there. Now you own the real estate, obviously. That's yeah. Mar- I know. I don't know if Keenan owns. I think he does own the building. Yeah. But I know Mark in San Diego. Shout out to Mark Patterson. He owns the yeah, and he's now the coffee business is doing so well. He's opening a second and a third location, and it's the same brand as his real estate. Blushlight. Coffee, porch like real
1: estate—that is it, it, the thing. And by the way, who buys overpriced coffee? Everyone. Well, yeah. Well, everyone. Drink, I'm drinking. I didn't buy this. Cooper bought it. Listen, we, we're not—we're not telling you guys to go open a, a, a Dunk a Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, that's not what we're saying. But like you know, but like if you think about the don't cli- work at Dunkin', it's got to be a local like I know, brand. I know, but like what I'm saying is the clientele that you're going to attract with your seven-dollar mochas. Are, yeah. are going to be the people who are college educated with disposable income yep. who have kids who are likely looking to buy or sell a house. So like it's the exact, like there's an intersection If there's Venn diagram, right? People who pay a lot of money for coffee, people who buy real estate, they definitely overlap. But this is a, the, the idea here is like, I like big, bold, crazy ass ideas that are different. Yeah. Like th- this is a, one of my favorite stories, Byron, is the story of restoration hardware. You know, if you know anything about the the furniture business, it's a terrible business. I mean, it's a low margin. You know, like the uh,
0: inventory is hold to uh, hard to to hold, hard to
1: hold. Right? It's it's a low margin business, and one of the biggest innovations. And I can't remember. The, uh, hopefully, someone in the comments can tell me who the, the name of the CEO is. But I remember reading an article about their CEO, and one of the things they did, which was unheard of at the time, and now it's become sort of the status quo, is that when they were in this business, they realized, oh being in the luxury high-end furniture business is a bad business to be in. He said, listen, this is a, this is gonna be a race to the bottom and we are not gonna participate. So he introduced the restoration hardware like membership program because he loved Costco's, he loved his other organizations and everyone made fun of him. In fact, when he re- made the announcement, the stock price literally tanked because everyone's was like, this is a terrible idea. And sure enough, that one decision to become a membership business, right? To have... They they make a hundred million dollars a year without selling a single piece of furniture just through membership. By the way,
0: um, take a note. I need to ask my wife if we're still because we bought a. <laughs>
1: oh, you're still a member. They got actually, you on the hook.
0: We need to get out of that membership. <laughs> uh, if, if she's definitely not listening to this right now, but yes, I I need to make a mental note. We need to get out of that membership. No, you're in
1: it. it, it it's already auto renewed for this year. Because I remember
0: when we bought it, when we bought the, um, you know, the, I think it was a bunk bed. Yeah, from restoration hardware. restoration hardware she's like oh yeah and we're part of this I said, wait a minute we're part of what what just happened would you what did you say oh yeah oh yeah what do we need a membership for we this you is just want a little purchase. bit of money
1: oh no oh no they'll get, they'll get you on... and this is the point is that it's a crazy idea that no one ever implemented and as a result they make a hundred million dollars a year plus now for without selling any 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 overpriced lamps right
0: and they went and their space is like I haven't been, but my wife's yeah. like, "Hey, we got to go over to Miami to oh yeah restoration. They're museums. I'm like, for what? She's like, oh, it's they got a restaurant. It's the restaurant, their
1: museums. The guys. It's yeah. a, there's a rooftop bar. There's all yeah. this stuff. And so the point being is, that when you got agents out there like Keenan who are opening coffee shops, they're like they're doing what the restoration hardware's of the world are doing, which is not looking at what their competition is doing. They're saying, where's the white space that I can operate yeah. within? And let let me get out there and do something fundamentally different if i'm trying to get i tweeted this early this morning there are there are teams and there are brokers out there who want to be different who say they want to be different who are trying to be different but when you look at their org chart and the people that actually work at the organization it's just like everybody else and what i mean by that is if your if your org chart in your company is a yeah part-time marketing assistant transaction coordinator and a bunch of buyer's agents well, like, don't be surprised if your output is just like everybody else who's got the same people on staff. So I think this market, when we think about, you know, where is there opportunity? The opportunity in this market is like to sort of like hit the reset button and say, OK, what's changed? What's new? How can I maybe adjust my strategy to sort of stand out as opposed to whatever I was doing 12 months ago, 24 months ago?
0: The customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. That's how we started this segment if we if if there's such a thing as segments on this podcast we're just going all over the place but customer acquisition so what are the unique innovative ways that you can acquire more customers into your business the coffee thing is inspiring me i'm thinking hmm i like cigars maybe a cigar shop <laughs> yes okay yeah you know maybe a bomber jacket shop. Sure. there might be a small small market for that yeah um but yeah what, what are the, what's the vibe in your community and starting a small little business
1: well i think the when i think about this idea of customer acquisition i think right now you look at like um you have two kind of audiences you can market to as an agent today you have the people who are searching like on google homes for sale and then you have people and i'm talking to broad brushstrokes here people who will never search homes for sale and who are gonna be just using one of the apps, right? Using one of the portals. So the same people who are using Redfin every day are unlikely gonna be as people going to Google to type in homes for sale. So what's interesting about that is you have essentially two different strategies for those different audiences. So you have people you wanna track through, let's say Google pay-per-click, who are maybe more top of the funnel. And then people who are actively using Redfin or Zillow every day, which you could only get in front of them through demand generation, display advertising, social advertising. The thing that, the thing is so important to understand about being a great marketer. And whereas I don't produce a lot of content for my own brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I tweet once in a while, I post a video. once Great
0: in a while. Twitter follow-up, but I don't know what the handle is. I know. Just at, at Jimmy Mackin. At Jimmy Mackin on Twitter. You do, t- you do tweet often.
1: So. I tweet. I, well, th- this is part of the strategy, which is if you're into thinking of a professional marketer, what you should do is you should test the market with your ideas before you make an investment with your time and your capital. Yeah. So if I tweet something that gets, let's say a good response, a, you know, 10, 15, 20 likes, which is good for me on Twitter, right? If I get that yeah. on, okay, that could be a Instagram reel for me, right? Oh, that could be an email marketing campaign for me. Let me That's let right. me pull in that thread. Oh,
0: 10 to 15 to 20 likes on Twitter equals 500 on Instagram. Yeah, It is much more difficult yeah. to get a, a, a reaction. So you know when you get double digit likes, mm-hmm. even if it's only 10, this is a piece of content that my audience over on Instagram is going to yeah. resonate with.
1: And, and so you, you guys are obviously in the media business and you guys do this, I think, better than anybody else right now. And I think your approach right now is very different than my approach. I think both are, are something people can learn from. So your approach is you guys suck the oxygen out of the room mm. in the best possible way yeah. meaning you can't turn on instagram or go on facebook or go on twitter without seeing bam everywhere which yeah. is your job as a as a media company God, like yeah. you want to suck the oxygen like there's there's no other voice yeah. frankly I, and, it, and it's been sort of insane how quickly you guys have been able to do that in such a short amount of time so that strategy which is you are you are like you 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 got you got a set up here to record podcasts, right? First time this has ever
0: been done. Yeah, <laughs> well, but uh, Mark, Mark is shout out to Mark Davison. He is uh, someone
1: who is willing to embrace this kind of stuff. So, so your approach, I don't. How would you categorize your approach? Just like sheer volume, right? Yeah, Obviously, quality. Yeah. But you're you're a volume shop. You have to. Per, if you guys stop posting for a week, people are like, oh, what happened to Byron? That's right. Right. For me, no one's asking what happened to Jimmy if I don't post an Instagram reel. Right. And and so the approach I have that's slightly different is I will test the waters with an idea, like a tweet or a Facebook post. If I get a great response, I'll do a video, maybe do an email campaign. If that does well, I'll then just put advertising budget behind it and let that be my voice for a month, for two months, for three months. So if you're an everyday agent who's watching right now, you can be in the content game. You can be that volume shop. If that's your, if you got the skill set, if you got the talent, if you got the people, or you can be in sort of the land and expand or land amplify game. I'll put right? twelve great ideas for the year and run it for the month. Just, just like, just yeah. If you if it does well, like, and I'll give you a, a really practical example of this. One of the things that we do, if we send a good email campaign, right? We send tens of thousands of emails a month. If something does well via email, that becomes a postcard. Think about how how like different that is. Like yeah. no one does that. If we write yeah. or, or, or a letter, and we say if someone if we get a great response rate, great open rate, great reply rate to that, like we'll translate that into another medium. But
0: okay, on the postcard, do you you know your subject line on the email is it exactly the same on the postcard? It's probably different, right?
1: You got yeah. You got yeah. You, you have to adapt the message to the medium. Exactly. Right? It, Be- it would would for sure. people make that mistake? Right? They just sort of copy and paste and just you know syndicate like this. We're not talking about syndication. We're saying hey. If I send an email that got a great open rate great response rate, that becomes a video, but the format is fundamentally different.
0: We had a day on the hot sheet, yeah, where hot sheet live YouTube, the subject line, it's acceptable to go into clickbait territory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this Hot Sheet did so well, um, we got lazy with it. Yeah. Took the subject line in the YouTube video, put it as the subject line in the email, mm-hmm. and we saw what the hell are you guys doing? This is clickbait, unsubscribe from the email list oh, yeah. that day. Yeah. Were, we're hot. Yeah. So high views on YouTube, people loved it, comments were great. Yeah. And then the email audience were unsubscribing. Oh yeah. Because yeah. we didn't change that. All we had to do was tweak that subject line yeah. to speak to the email audience. Content is the same mm-hmm. inside. Yeah. All we had to do is change the subject line and we wouldn't have gotten those unsubscribes.
1: Yeah. It goes back to this basic idea that this is what professional marketers do, which is we are testing, we're iterating, we're experimenting. And when you think that marketing isn't your job, you're making a huge mistake. Whether you, there are too many brokers and team leads out there who are like this, like this is not my natural skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they sort of like you know they like it's the old Bill Hewitt line, which is uh, or Bill Packard line, which is marketing is too important to leave to marketing people. Which is, if you're the owner of the company and you run the shop, you need to be the person who is in charge, or at least influencing the marketing strategy, because you yeah. represent the brand. You're you're the person who's carrying the torch for the company. If you just let your assistant do it, like, don't be surprised when you don't get when you have like no likes, no followers, no comments, no leads. Like that's that is the the tendency of our industry, is sort of just to, the this obsession with delegation. Um,
0: but delegating it to a very junior person because it's the salary that you can afford for that position and and undervaluing the importance
1: of it. Yeah. So I got a crazy idea for you. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning and I want to get your reaction to it. Yeah. Okay. So like, look, we're going to, we're going to try to have a theme for this podcast. Okay. What's the theme? Give us the subject line now. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to theme. We'll, we'll get to the theme at some point, but this idea of like helping the people who are watching this get their next customer. Yes. Uh, If you run a 10 person shop, right usually you're the team lead who's in production right? you're still selling and usually you have everyone kind of looks to you for advice and looks to you for guidance okay so here's my pitch i, I think the opportunity is if you have a small team is to pair your agents up together and i mean like and, and create some incentives around this but okay. pair them up together as a team okay so tag teams Tag. you create tag teams like the nasty boys the bushwhackers exactly right you got these tag teams and you say okay listen here's the goal like if your team hits not individually but if your team hits a hundred or let's say the number is 20 you know in-person appointments this month I will literally pay you each two thousand dollars whatever the number is right whatever makes sense for your business okay but my pitch is I think this business is so lonely and I think this business is so brutal that it is easy to get discouraged. But if you've got like a gym partner, someone who is working with you. Accountability partner, account- a spotter, yeah, gym. But, but within the team itself, like I mean like yep. not something, yep. like, someone like literally right there with you, like pair them up together and then you can compete, you know, create a competitive environment where you've got three teams and they're all competing against each other. So, So my pitch to you, and you tell me your reaction to it, is if you're sitting here watching this podcast and you're underperforming and you can't motivate your agents, no matter what you've tried, like you've tried everything. Hey, we want you to go to the CRM, go through your tasks, make your calls. Like, what do you think about this idea of like pairing the agents up together, creating a month long competition and then create some type of incentive at the end for the winning team? But then obviously, if everyone does their job, like something special happens.
0: Uh, I love it. We've been doing it all year. Okay, <laughs> We've been. And we have never had this conversation. So uh, okay. now we haven't done it with two people. Okay. We've been doing it. Um, we have pods on our team. Yeah. Okay. And so we've been doing it pods. And so when I leave here, um, I'm going back to Connecticut for two days and Friday, the pod leader or, or the pod group rather that won yep. the competition last month. Mm-hmm. We're going and we're doing a lunch. We're all getting vitamin drips. It's like part <laughs> of like, that was, okay. everybody's getting vitamin drips, yep. right? Um. But I do like the, I like breaking it down even, you know, pods are, our pods are like eight people. Yeah. I like going two. here's why. Cause when COVID hit, we were running these accountability groups, six week accountability groups. Yeah. You had 12 or 14 people sometimes in an accountability group, but we partnered two people to be accountability partners for the week. Yeah. Okay. I've got three things. You've got three things I'm working on to better my life and we're in it together. And and so I like the two. Yeah, I, I like that because somebody has a bad day, the other person picks them up, right? Mm-hmm. With maybe eight people, that person it's having a bad day can 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 hide it's in a easy group. Easy to hide, they, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. And so we've been every single month we've been changing, um, you know, tweaking a little bit of the competitive environment and yeah. how we're how we're going to compete with each other to help mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And so I like this. We're gonna we're gonna change that next month.
1: Well, there's there's a the 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 and this goes back to this idea of like. Uh, just trying to think of new like if you were successful the last 24 months very rarely did you hear anybody thank the market if you weren't thanking the market the last 24 months you can't blame the market now sure and and that's what we're seeing right now is like if you listen to the earnings call of like open door is a good example like they're an easy target and listen I I usually don't talk shit about other organizations because it's these are big complex organizations that are that are like you know you never know the inner workings but they spent if you listen the earnings call which i know you do mm-hmm. they spent i would say at least six quarters saying how incredibly sophisticated their algorithm was right how a- every investor came on hey what happens in a down market well yeah. our algorithm is so special that in a down market it will actually do, secret we'll do better right yeah. that's the secret algorithm and the moment that things shifted all of a sudden it's unprecedented, right? It's never happened before, rates have never risen. Like, what about that algorithm you've got yeah. that you've been telling us for six quarters of what was the, you know, God's gift to, to to all mankind? Like, what about that thing? And so you, I think right now agents have a tendency to like blame the market, complain about, if I ran a team and my agents talked about how bad the market was, I'd fire them. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you're dead. You have no chance of being successful in this market if you, if that is your mindset going into a virus. That's right. Like, literally like if that's if you're complaining about rates look, I get it it sucks they're not three percent so what (laughs) like and show up the way you frame that up
0: is brilliant because nobody wants to basically admit that they had nothing to do with it because if you're thanking the market the last two years you're saying hey I've got nothing to do with this I'm taking no credit for you know this amazing year or this amazing you know job I've done for my clients you're just giving it all to the market
1: it's Listen, it, we're not trying to discredit the fact that people work really hard, because people did work really hard. Absolutely. They, people people were working 90 hour work weeks, right? And, but it, but we, if we're honest, and I think this is part of uh, being a good leader, being a good CEO, is recognizing when things that work in your favor really have very little to do with your brilliant strategy and have so much more to do with maybe other forces or other things that kind of landed in your lap that you just simply took advantage of. So all the credit in the world to the agents out there who were hustling, yeah. but but let's not like- doing those video
0: tours in April of 2020 when nobody was leaving
1: their yeah was there hazmat yeah exactly yeah. like you know all the credit to them but like let's let's be real here this this goes back to the beginning of this podcast we're like I think there is my my hot take is there is no better time to be a great agent than today because you blended in with everybody else in the last two years well now. This is your opportunity to stand out. This is your opportunity to shine.
0: The biggest businesses are going to get built up mm-hmm. in the next year, two years during this time period. It's those that are leaning in. Yeah. It's those that are going to be willing to take a little bit of risk, calculated risk. Yeah. Better know your
1: stuff to take that risk. Mm-hmm. So I'm all in with you, man. This is,
0: this is going to be fun
1: the next couple of years. Well, and I think about this idea of I'm talking about the calculator risk. You know, I heard advice. I read advice from Jeff Bezos many years ago that I'll never forget. He talks about this idea of how do you make big bets? Because it's, it's a difficult question. How, how do you know when it's time to open a mortgage company Go versus open a coffee shop? Right, right. Like, we, like
0: what we talked about, Gary Vee earlier. How do you know when it's time to take all of your savings and put it on a thing called Facebook before yeah. it was ever on an app before anybody knew what it was? Yeah,
1: yeah. And it, it, in the way that Jeff described it, uh, he said that when the uh, the, in the impact of being right is like a hundred x. And the impact of being wrong is only 10x you make that bet every time and so this idea if you can imagine a world where the impact of that like decision has such a huge payoff and whereas the cost of being wrong and you should be honest about that the cost of being wrong is maybe you'll lose a few months you set back you lose you know you lose ten thousand twenty thousand dollars whatever that might be like okay cool you just go you get after it and i think this is where their people don't have a decision-making process around how they make investments and how they sort of calculate risk. And so as a result, everything looks risky when you are, when you're just sort of like, you know, I, I don't have that much money to invest. I want to be, you know, like there's nothing worse than being conservative in this market. So I think this idea, Byron, of just saying, if you can start to really evaluate what opportunities exist in your business, where can you actually make, where, where, if you get it right, it changes everything. Like that is that has gotta be the mindset as you go into this market.
0: The coffee shop example, yeah. if you buy the building and your coffee business fails, the downside is yeah. I get a tenant. Yeah, yeah, I get a tenant for the building that I own. The upside to your point is I can 100X my customer acquisition. I'm getting, it's much easier to get an email and oh, a yeah. phone number off of a coffee point system yeah. than it is like, do you wanna buy
1: or sell? It's it, great CEOs, and I aspire to be one. I'm not, I'm not putting myself in this category, but great CEOs are decision-making machines. I mean, like this idea of, if you got an idea, your ability to go from idea to execution, get feedback, get it in the wild, see if it works, make some changes to it. Like there are, there are when, when I look at inexperienced leaders, they, they, they procrastinate. They weigh the pros and cons for months. Like they, they and they and they wrap it in this blanket called perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a perfectionist. Yep. No, you're a procrastinator, yep. right? Like yep. that's that's what you're doing. And so they lie to themselves. And I think you see this with with for all different stages of leadership, individual agent, team lead. I'll never I'll never delegate because I'm such a perfectionist. Oh man. Like you hear that. And so it, 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 there's this sort of false flag that you see agents using in their business when they should just basically make the decision, live with the consequences but keep the thing moving along. Like, that's what that's what's going to really win this market is, and I see it already, agents who are taking big bets were decisive, who are getting out there swinging big, like, you know, with a little bit of like, you know, a little bit of conservatism, but like, you know, it's just, you've got to have your foot in the gas right now. Because again, it's a great time to be a great agent.
0: Dude, perfect way to wrap this thing <laughs> up. Great time to be a great agent. Jimmy Macken, uh if you're on Twitter, make sure. Because you can... What you can do with Jimmy's Twitter is steal insights for your marketing. And that's yeah. that's what I love about following you, and I just appreciate you sharing
1: so much today. I appreciate it, brother. Good stuff. Awesome.